95.9 WPRS HD2 Waldorf WKYS HD2 Washington WMMJ HD2 Bethesda and worldwide at WOLDCnews.com The views and opinions of the following show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of News Talk 1450 WOL Radio 1 Incorporated or their management. everyone welcome back to another edition of the uncle Devin show here on wol 1450 a.m 95.9 fm such a beautiful day out there i hope everyone is is joining is joining themselves um we're going to have a wonderful show for those who are not familiar uh, my name is uncle Devin, the children's drum cushionist you see i have a children's uh music show called the uncle Devin show that is an interactive musical experience for children that uses drums and percussion to cultivate their minds, sort of a dynamic cross between DC's Trouble Funk and Schoolhouse Rock. But this show is dedicated to parents, teachers, and guardians to help educate all of us about the importance that music and arts plays in a child's development and what you can do to help take back control of your children's listening music experience. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by I Am We Nation Radio. I Am We Nation Radio, the first 24-7 online music radio station with an urban twist. Uh, we provide you with uh, music from many different genres, but definitely you're going to hear some hip-hop, some go-go, some jazz, but it's all for children, zero to zero to 12, but definitely uh, children, uh, music dedicated toward them that's age-appropriate and culturally relevant. Tune into IamWeNation.com with two E's. I am we nation.com uh, uh, to tune in 24 seven and check that out. Uh, we're going to have some fun today. In fact, um, I had that black bag there T. I almost didn't pull out my notes today. I want to first give a shout out to the Mount Washington pediatric center up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, we had a wonderful time last week. Uh, we performed for uh, some of the children uh, up there and typically a children's show is about 45 minutes. We went for two straight hours up there, and the staff loved it. We loved it. The the children had a ball, and there's nothing like uniting people through music. I don't care who you are, what your race, what your culture is. Uh, When we start talking about music and we put instruments in children's hands and people's hands, it just transforms uh, the lives. So I think, in fact, if we, you know, we we have a large military budget in this country, maybe we should – uh, exchange all that and put a drum in everybody's hand or a trumpet or, or or some other musical instrument and let's see if we can if we if we have an attack let's attack each other with some notes with some flats and sharps instead of some some bullets and, and guns but anyway i digress uh today's show um is, go- is a wonderful show i'm honored to have with me um a young brother who has a lot to give a lot to share a lot has been through a lot and um uh, he was featured on the A&E special Kids Behind Bars. Um, and and what's the subtitle of that? It's called uh, Life or Parole. That's what it is. 
Um, and I found something, um, Curtis, before I even introduce you, I'm just read a little part of it. just kind of gives a good overview. In 1995, Curtis Brooks was sentenced, um, well, you know, he was 15 years old, rather, and homeless in, in the Denver area. Uh, and he had left Maryland for Colorado in order to reunite with his, um, it says here, with his uh, mother. And I'll let you talk about her condition at that time. But that didn't go as well as planned. Rather, Brooks took, um, he ended up pretty much, he was homeless. Uh, but he and three of his uh, friends um, were, uh, the, as the episode showed, um, wanted to rob uh, someone with a car. But in the process of that, um, someone was killed. In fact, I want to make sure uh, his name was Christopher Ramos was killed. And at that time, um, I believe all four were convicted. With, well, I don't know about that, but I know Curtis was convicted to life without prison. And I'll let him explain um, what the uh, terms were for everyone else. But as the show showed, um, Curtis got a, a reprieve because the Supreme Court indicated that sentencing uh, juveniles to life without parole was what they consider cruel and unusual punishment. And as a result of that, he received uh, clemency. I think it was December 18th. Okay, I think that, that date, Curtis, will probably you know reign um, with you for a long time. And the governor of Colorado, and we'll talk about him in a moment, uh, granted him clemency. He was released from prison after how many years? 24 years. 24 years uh, on July 1st. And he's here in studio with us to share his experiences. And we want to make that, I'm going to show you that connection that we have with music and art and, 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 and just really just the whole restorative justice. So help me welcome to the Uncle Devin Show, uh, Curtis Brooks. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, first of all, I have to say that, um, you know, I, I'm a big A&E fan. I've been watching their shows for years, um, First 48 and you name it. But when I saw this show, it really touched me because I, it, it, although I know a lot of young people go into prison um, at an early age, I never really thought about what that experience was like. And so to be able to have you here to kind of talk uh, to our audience about that, um, that would be great. And also for the listening audience, if you want to call in and join the conversation, if you want to ask Curtis or myself any questions, give us a call at one 800 450 Seven eight seven six. That's one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. So, Curtis, first of all, talk a little bit about uh, uh, about yourself. Where did you grow up um, initially um, when when you were younger? I grew up here in Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, I spent the first portion of my childhood in Forestville, Maryland. Okay. Uh, once we reached the middle school ages, we moved into Largo, Maryland, uh -huh. um, and I was there uh, from. Uh, I want to say it was 1991 until 1994 when I was uh, moved out to Colorado to be with my mother. Okay, and talk a little bit about that, because what what I like to talk about again, my I'm not concerned, and I'm not, you know, I I don't I won't run from the different conversations, but I'm not really into worried about what led about the specifics about what happened that got you incarcerated. But what what I want to focus on is the things that um, the, the the environmental aspects, things that could have been done differently or things that you see, and also in particularly what happened while you were there as a juvenile and whether or not they, you know, you know, put you in regular uh, population with the adults and all that. But talk to me first and foremost about what happened. Um, uh, there were four of you all that were uh, convicted. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Talk a little bit about that. And where, where are the four right now? 
Uh, three. There were four of us total. Two of the kids I hadn't met before, uh, literally 10 minutes before the incident happened. Okay. The other I had met once. Um, mm-hmm. Knew him in passing uh, as kids meet each other. Um, th- through that process, uh, myself and Dion Harris, who was the other kid that I knew, we were both convicted uh, for murder. Um, his case because he was the actual person to pull the trigger me for felony murder because if you're a part of a crime and somebody dies, mm-hmm. you're as guilty of them dying as if you had pulled the trigger yourself. Right. Uh, the other two kids, one of them was a few months younger than me. He got charged as a juvenile, wound up serving five years, and was released. The other... How old was he? Um, I believe he was 14. And how and you were fifteen. I was fifteen. Okay. And it, was there a distinction between being fourteen and fifteen that you recall, or everything is really down to the discretion of the district attorneys. Okay. Um, they get to decide whether they call it direct filing, whether they file on you as a juvenile or as an adult. Okay. Um, I wasn't privy to the details of his case, so okay. I don't know what led to their decision. I don't know if they said he was too young, mm-hmm. uh, but they made a decision to charge him in juvenile court instead of adult court. Mm-hmm. He served five years and was released. Um, the other kid was, uh, he never took it to trial. Mm-hmm. They offered him a plea bargain. Um, I believe it was somewhere in the range of like 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you saw the show, they said that they considered him to be too small to be convicted. So they <laughs> yeah. offered him a plea bargain. Um, he was later, uh, granted clemency by the governor, the previous governor before, uh, Hickenlooper, who uh, the great John Hickenlooper. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, who, who granted me my clemency. So he okay. was uh, released, I believe, four or five years before I was. Okay, all right. Um, we, we, I, I'll Because our audience is primarily the urban community, I'd like to address this, but I saw this article written um, by um, Namrata Tripathi, um, and it was... Um, she began, or he, I'm not sure if it's he or she, began to talk a little bit about the racial dynamics. Now, the two that were out before you and the other person, um, their race, I believe they were white? Yes, they were both white. Okay. The trigger, the trigger person, um, uh, what's, his, what's the gentleman's name? That, that, that you, you, the, other, the fourth person? It was, his name was Dion Harris. And, and was Dion the one that pulled the trigger to yes, kill? Yes, he was. Okay, and he still is in prison. Yes, he is. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about moving um, even prior to that. Are there any things in terms of society, what you were going through, or what were you going through at the time that led you to that decision? And is there anything that, that society could have done, whether the teachers, the schools, the community, that could have helped you make a different decision that day? Um. I don't know. Okay. Uh, for me, it was a situation where I was moved out to Colorado to be with my mother. She had recently completed a drug rehabilitation program. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got out, things were kind of good between us. Um, but she started dealing with relationships with different people. And one of the relationships that she formed was with a guy who got her into drugs again. Okay. Uh, from that point on, our relationship devolved to the point where I was told that I was no longer welcome in the home. Mm-hmm. I wound up on the street basically bouncing around trying to show that I was uh, responsible enough to take care of myself and I didn't need anybody. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't I don't lay that uh, at at her feet, and I don't right. lay the blame on her. Um, I also don't blame lay the blame on society. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there were mechanisms in place that you know could have helped out if I had been involved with them. Um, maybe if I had been nudged in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me at that time, um, because of the family issues that I dealt with, the 
feelings of abandonment and everything else, I had pretty much detached myself to a position where I felt like uh, the only person I needed to rely upon was myself. Okay. Um, I, I felt like I was all I had in the world. So, you know, I, I kind of divorced myself from any potential helps that society could have given me, mm -hmm. um, whether mm -hmm. they were in place or not. Um, and for that reason, I tell everybody that the decisions that I made that led to uh, – that event and Christopher Ramos leaving his life, losing his life, that was completely on me. You okay. know, that okay. nobody in society failed me. The, the school systems didn't fail me. You know, social services didn't fail me. And, you know, I, I failed myself and I failed everybody that I, I my decisions, my inability uh, to make the right decision is what I call it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I failed myself and everybody else mm -hmm. uh, in doing that. You know, I I think there that there's no one in this listening audience who hasn't done in, done something that they regret. Uh, it just depends on the, the 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 circumstances on how severe it is. In your situation, it costs someone someone's life, but in other situations, you know, it could be something that's a little less um, severe, but yet still is is painful. So I guess you know I've always say that you know, but for the grace of God, could could, could there there could go I. Um, Real quick, so well, not even real quick. We, we we're still going. You're listening to Curtis uh, Brooks. He is uh, he was featured on the A and E special Kids Behind Bars: Life for Parole. When you were uh, sentenced, and we have two minutes before we take a break, um, what was the feeling like when they said life without parole? Uh, for me, I kind of feel like uh, looking back on things, going through that scenario. I almost didn't feel like it was a reality, you know, okay. even being in that situation and being told that I was uh, being placed uh, facing prosecution for, you know, felony murder is the technical term for it. Uh, there was a part of me that just felt like it was like any other situation when I was a kid. Oh, I'm in trouble now and, you know, we'll, we'll get through it and life will just go on. So, you know, when we got to that point that the jury was out deliberating and then they came back and they said guilty and, you know, I was going to jail for life. It was something that that kind of crushed me because mm -hmm. this idea of reality that I had, had developed, this bubble I had put myself in, mm -hmm. wasn't exactly what I thought it was. And, right. you know, life, it just hit me in the face. You know, when we uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, listen to the, uh, you know, so we can check the traffic and weather. But when we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about your experience when you were there. Um, and in terms of whether or not they even put you in the same population as everyone else. Uh, you're listening to the Uncle Devin Show here on WL 1450 AM. Uh, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, and 95.9 FM. Steve Hirshhorn for 1450 AM, 95.9 FM, WOL, where information is power. And we're back. You're listening to Uncle Devin's talk show on WOL, 1450 AM, 95.9 FM, where information is power. Uh, to, uh, today's show is um, brought to you by... I am WeNationRadio.com, the first 24-7 online music radio station with an urban twist. Um, my guest today is Curtis Brooks. He was featured on the A&E special Kids Behind Bars, Life or Parole. And before we went to the break, we were just about to talk a little bit about uh, when you 
the reality that hit you. And not only was it the reality, but now when you were officially put behind bars with that title of life without parole, or even forget that, even before that, because you, you, it was two years before you were sentenced from the time that the incident occurred. Uh, it was about a year and seven months that okay. I sat in uh, county jail fighting uh, okay. for the trial. So now county jail, I'm, sh- I'm sure, is different than yes. where you, what, what, what were you um, stationed? I mean, where were you um, in prison at? Um, was it the state, as as, state state prison? Yes, was, I was in state okay, prison. Okay, in Colorado. Yes. Okay. So when you went in, you were now 17 years old. Did they, were you just thrown in with the general population? Uh, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first stop that you go to is basically their diagnostic uh, facility. Uh, okay. reception. They, they give you your DLC number at that time and uh-huh. determine based upon your crime and everything else what facilities you're going to go to. So there, yes, I was, I was a 17-year-old kid in with... Grown adults, there was no distinction. Um, during that time, though, uh, somewhere in their administration, they made a determination that I was, uh, I guess, necessary to be housed alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first facility, actual facility they placed me in was the Colorado State Penitentiary, which is an ad seg, administrative segregation unit, uh, facility mm-hmm. where you spend 23 hours a, a day in your room by yourself. Um, you get an hour out a day. I don't. Like, as far as behavioral, there mm-hmm. was nothing that I had given them to justify it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the only thing that I could suspect is that they had made the determination because of my age. Mm-hmm. I needed to uh, be placed in administrative segregation. So okay. um, that was what de- determined me going there. And mm-hmm. I actually wound up spending a total of 10 years in administrative segregation. So 23 hours out of a day, you were in the cell by yourself. Was there any development programs? Was there any schooling? Was there any, did you have access to anything that connects you to, you know, to life? At you that have point? minor programs in, in that facility. I was able to take my GED, okay. which I did um, within, I think, a three month period of me being there. Okay. Um, and then they had small programs, anger management, drug and alcohol, mm-hmm. um, nothing major, but they were just little programs that they required you to do to basically start to progress your way out of that facility. Now, because I, I focus a lot on music, um, I'm curious to know what role, if any, did music play for you in prison? Was there, did you have access to music? And and how did that, how did that work? During that period where I was in AdSeg, no. Okay. Um, they would play, uh, they would have a channel where they would play some music mm-hmm. over the radio. Uh, it was selected albums that they would decide. So generally it would come in a block. You'd have, you know, R&B. They would play like three albums and it would go to rock. Then it would mm-hmm. go to country. So okay. if you had a particular interest, you had to basically try to time it when, when yeah. those uh, albums would come on. Mm-hmm. Once I left that facility and wound up going to uh, Lyman Correctional Facility, I wound up in a situation where being in a general population, they actually had things you could be a part of. Mm-hmm. And they had bands. Uh, they had a band room there where mm. guys would go in and they would practice. And okay. um, every maybe holiday or whatever, they would actually get out on a stage and they would perform okay. li- like a real band. Okay. Uh, so for me, that was where I got my introduction mm-hmm. into it because I had buddies that were part of it. And I started to take an interest in, I guess, the work behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, that led me to studying music theory, which actually opened my mind to mm. a, a lot of different... Before before all of that, all I would ever listen to is really rap. Okay, I might listen to some R&B and go-go when I was home, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was literally all I listened to. But okay. after studying music theory and really getting into the mindset of music, it opened the doors for me to listen to so much more. 
you know, one of the things that I've been advocating and the reason why I have this show is I want to e eradicate what is called music adultification. That's where we force children to listen to inappropriate adult music instead of age appropriate music. Do you believe in society, just from your perspective, that um, that that we need to do more? I'll, it's actually a leading question. I don't want to lead it that way. What what role do you think music can play in helping children in society make the right decisions versus making some wrong decisions? I definitely think that that music can be a, a positive contributor mm -hmm. to kids, um, but. I think it would require more of a hands-on tactic rather than mm -hmm. just, you know, you can't stick, sit kids in front of a radio and say, here, enjoy music and let it be positive. Mm -hmm. I know for me, the eye-opener, like I said, was uh, studying music theory. Mm -hmm. That really led me an interest to study and understand, you know, the different nuances that come with music. And I think that something, that could be something that could be positive for kids if you mm -hmm. started to teach them mm -hmm. music, uh, not necessarily even picking up an in instrument, but... Mm -hmm to understand what it is that they're listening to mm -hmm. and the nuances that go into it, you could create a deeper interest for a kid that, that would, you know, delve into it and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, uh, I guess, open their mind a little bit more to not just music, but to, mm -hmm. you know, the differences of people in society and different cultures. And right. you, you would start to, to create an atmosphere mm -hmm. uh, of being more positive and thoughtful than just right. reactive. Well, music touches the soul. It, 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 it inspires in many different ways. And so I, I would agree with you. And I'm glad to hear that you did the music theory, which is, which is wonderful. Let me ask you this. How young was the youngest inmate that you saw while you were in prison? Me. Oh, Seven, you were, 17 was, there were others that came in at about the age of 17, but okay. in my time, I never really saw anybody show up younger than me. Okay. All right. Um, and I know that your uh, elementary school uh, principal, principal yes. was very, played a very important role. Absolutely. And you will talk, talk about your elementary school principal. I believe she's an elected official now. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, it's Senator Joanne Benson of the 24th district in Prince George's County. Mm -hmm. um, she was a person that during my time in school, I remember she took a specific interest in me. Mm -hmm. uh, she always relates the story that she could see when I was coming to school that something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. So she took a, a familiar interest uh, would show up at my house um, to just to check in and make sure everything was going on um, and, and things were good. We lost contact once we moved out of Forestville. She was still in the elementary school. I moved on to Kettering Middle School. Mm -hmm. um, we still had relative contact, but once I went to Colorado, she moved on to politics, so we lost mm -hmm. contact completely. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 2013 when my lawyers, uh, new lawyers that I had appointed uh, after the Supreme Court rulings came out here, they were put in contact with her, and as soon as she found out the situation I was in, she was out. As soon as their session ended, she mm -hmm. was out uh, in Colorado to meet with me and wow. has been my strongest advocate since then. How important was that? It, it's big, mm -hmm. uh, especially for a kid that spent so much time feeling like nobody cared, mm -hmm. uh, feeling like the world just moved on and never even took the time to notice them. Mm -hmm. uh, to have her and you know my lawyer who was my original co-counsel of my trial lawyer and came back on to assist uh, free of charge to, for her mm -hmm. to come back and fight as hard as she did. You know, mm -hmm. Holland Hoskins is one of the greatest you. people. <laughs> ask, ask her her I name. know. Yeah. yeah. And 
Now, you I know, saw in the video there were two ladies, though. There were, well, I think it was Holland when she when the, when the, 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 the verdict came out and she ran into the office and the other yeah. lady was looking on the computer. Who, who was that lady? The other one was Ashley Ratliff. Okay. I actually had three attorneys okay. uh, during that period. The other was Drew Nielsen. Uh-huh. Uh, she only made an appearance. Uh, when we were in the courtrooms on the show, they never really showed any detailed uh, mm-hmm. information about her. Right. But those were the three women that were uh, fighting in Colorado for me. And then you had Senator Benson along with her political aide, Abdul Rahun, Abdullah, who were uh, really my champions. They, mm-hmm. they fought. They came out for every hearing. They came, came out to speak to legislation when they were talking about bills and anything else. And, you know, I owe so much to all of them for all of the work that they did. And speaking on that, then how does that shape the work you do now? Uh, I guess, what are you, what are you looking to do? What are you doing now? And and I I know that, um, uh, that the governor in, in, in Colorado, uh, he had pretty much, um, I'm looking for the quote that he, that was in this, uh, in this paper, but basically he was just saying that you have totally rehabilitated yourself in prison and that um, uh, he expected great things from you. Do you feel a sense of duty now to make sure that you live up to that? No question. Okay. Yeah. Not, no question at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, you, there's that answer is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. I, of course, intend to give back. You know, I feel like I have a story that can be relatable to some people. Um, and I have a job right now with the Prince George's County Education Coalition. Uh, we help out ele- elementary schools, and you know, part of that job is going to be behind the scenes, uh, orchestrating things, paperwork, the mm-hmm. logistics. But I know part of that is also going to be, you know, speaking to parents, speaking mm-hmm. to the kids, counselors, going to schools, and relaying my story. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I absolutely want to do. Okay. Uh, I also want to, you know, help out in, in some way of. I guess shedding more light on the justice system as it relates to dealing with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately in the justice system, once you get thrown in there, mm-hmm. you're no longer a person. You're, you're just a letter. Uh, you're a number, you're a name mm-hmm. and they make decisions based upon paper, you know, mm-hmm. black and white, and they don't get to know you or anything else. And there, I won't say that every kid that goes to prison figures it out, learns mm-hmm. and, and becomes a better person. But there are guys in there that figure it out. There are guys that, that take that step to say, look, the things that I was doing aren't what I need to be doing anymore. So I absolutely want to help as many of them as I can. And, you know, the last layer to that to me is vindication. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had, you know, my lawyers, mm-hmm. the senator, her political aide, all these people that stood by me and fought for me. And to me, I have to vindicate yes. all of their decisions. Uh the future president Hickenlooper, uh, you know, I have to vindicate his decision to go ahead and give me a chance. I can't be a person that sits here acting like a fool, and and then they're going to start questioning him about why did you let this idiot out? You yeah. know, I'm yeah. I'm going to show everybody that that put in the effort and everything. It was not a waste. Okay, and uh, I want you to hold tight. When we return, I'm going to bring on the uh, we have on the phone line calling in from Austin, Texas, um, Cynthia. Um, Cynthia. Uh, uh, yeah, Cynthia Smith. I'm sorry, Cynthia. Uh, she's with Sparks with Success. And we're going to continue this conversation about restorative justice and how we use music in the correctional center, uh, correctional facilities. Hold on. This is the Uncle Devin Show. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s news. T- uh, she is the creator and I believe the executive director of an organization called Sparks for Success. Uh, and it links directly to what we're talking about with my my in-house studio, a guest, uh, Curtis uh, Brooks, who was featured on A&E's 
uh, kids behind bars, life uh, or parole. And uh, so my next guest again, uh, I want to thank Cynthia Smith for being the guest on the Uncle Devin Show. Welcome, Cynthia. Well, thank you. Good afternoon, Devin. And I really appreciate the opportunity to represent Sparks for Success on your show today. Okay. And, and just doing that, won't you tell us a little bit about Sparks for, for Success? What is it and uh, what is your mission? Well, Sparks for Success is a nonprofit organization, <clears throat> excuse me, as you said, in, based in Austin, Texas. And we have a very special mission, uh, and that is to end intergenerational incarceration and the school-to-prison pipeline for our students. Um, we believe that when we establish a strong foundation for the social and emotional well-being of our students, um, it gives them the opportunity to realize their full potential and to become valuable contributors to our community. So our focus is working with children who are challenged by parental incarceration, and we use music as the vehicle to reach them, um, to give them the tools they need to know how to change their tra trajectory toward a successful future. Okay, so you in mentioning that, so talk a little bit about how our children with uh, incarcerated parents impacted. Well, you know, it's both an astounding and a heartbreaking um, fact to realize that the tragic loss of so much human potential results from a parent's incarceration. Um, these kids make up one of the largest at-risk and underserved populations in the U.S., and in the last census from 2010, um, it was estimated that there were 2.7 million children with an incarcerated parent in the United States, and that at least 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration in their lifetimes. And so that's about 7% of our nation's youth. Um, now, in Texas, where Sparks is located, um, we have nearly a half million of these kids. There in D.C., you have a higher than national average with 8% or about 10,000 kids. And, and again, this is a, you know, this number is 10 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, just as an example, uh, you may know of Wilson Good, who was the first black mayor of Philadelphia yes. and then later started a prison ministry. And, you know, he tells of a grandfather, a father, and a son, all members of the same family, who met each other for the first time as inmates in the same prison. And what's even more sad is that the son fully expects to meet his child in the same way. Wow. Um, and then, you know, there, then there's what we call the school-to-prison pipeline, where kids end up in juvie during their school years, um, some never graduate from high school, and you know, then they're on their way to a life that sometimes ends up as incarceration as an adult. And so this is the mission of Sparks for Success, to keep the students that we serve from getting caught up in this system in the first place. Now, I'm not sure if you heard um, my guest, uh, the other guest, Curtis um, Brooks, that's here, and um, he talked about studying music therapy while um, in prison as a youth and into his adulthood. Um, talk a little bit about the programs that you all offer. Well, we offer two basic programs. Um, we're, we're a proactive rather than a reactive organization, so we reach our students before they start getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. um, our first program is music therapy classes. 
which take place in school and during the school day. Mm-hmm. And Sparks for Success recognizes that early intervention to help children of inmates is really very vitally important to break the cycle of trauma and to set them up for a life of academic and emotional and social and economic success. Um, We want to help combat the compromised health outcomes of ACEs, which um, ACEs is the, uh, never can remember the Uh uh, name of that. That's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, while you look that up, let me ask you. from the traumas that they have. Sure. Um, So... So why why you why you looked that up? I was going to ask you: Can you define what music therapy is? I know people may have heard it, but what is music therapy? Well, music therapy is a healing therapy. Um, so we have uh, specially trained, certified music therapists who are educated in trauma and are trained in the specialized use of music intervention, um, but to reach non-musical goals. So here. We're not interested in our kids becoming musicians. The skills they're learning through music therapy are to help them heal from their traumas and then to learn how to deal with future hurdles that will continue to come up in their lives. And so, for example, there are times when a therapist lets me know the kids never picked up an instrument during a class. And the reason is because they're coming in with baggage. Um, mm-hmm. That could be, you know, arguing with one another or a bullying situation um, or a child's lack of self-control that affects the whole class. Um, you know, any number of, of issues that might they might come up with. Okay. Um, so our therapists use these opportunities to discuss whatever problem has been presented. Right. They guide the kids through identifying the issue, discussing the feelings that are evoked, talking about choices that could be made and the benefits or detriments of what you know those choices, um, whether or not a teacher or counselor should be notified. So in short, how should the problem be solved? And then going through the steps to get it done. Okay, so, right. Yeah, these are those all-important social and emotional learning skills that we hear about, um, known as SEL. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, music therapy is about healing and learning the skills to navigate through the challenges in the kids' lives. So let me me ask this, and I'm going to turn to Curtis, because I I mistakenly said music therapy he was in, but he's music theory. Um, Right. Now, Curtis, likewise, studying music theory, the music theory was it to try to get you to become a musician, or was it what? What, what would you consider the the impetus behind that? Uh, it wasn't necessarily to to become a musician. I did try to learn to play the drums, but it was uh, an extremely half hearted attempt. Okay. Um, for me, it was once I started learning different things in prison and studying philosophy and that type of stuff. I just hungered for knowledge, and mm-hmm. this was an area that I knew nothing about. I didn't understand music. I just knew that it sounded good mm-hmm. and. I enjoyed listening to it, and it was just an interest to delve deeper into mm-hmm. it and to to understand the the picture behind the music and mm-hmm. you know what it takes to make that music and mm-hmm. you know uh, so it, it was uh, informational, not sure. practical. I wasn't sure. looking to become a musician. Okay, and and Cynthia, I'll ask you this in terms of um, you working with children of incarcerated parents. I'm. I'm sure that at times some of the parents that you work with were teenagers. 
Right. Okay. Some of them still are. Some of them still okay. Some of them are still are teenagers. Not really. Talk yeah. a little bit about that, especially as you know, with Curtis coming, you know, uh, just coming out of prison at, as a teenager. Um, are there any particular challenges that you have to deal with with the, as a result of that? Well, one of the biggest issues is a lot of times our parents don't know what to do. Right. Um, they've been stuck in this same cycle, um, you know, with, with what, whatever their whatever their traumas have been, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever their past is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we see with some of our parents that they don't even have any hope to get out of a situation. Um, a lot of our kids live in government project housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're surrounded by people who are all in that same rut, you know, whether it's uh, poverty, whether it's being exposed to crime just because that's what goes on in their neighborhood. Um, they they don't know what to do. I mean, we have students that, you know, we're talking first and third grade kids who are raising themselves. Yes. You know, who show up show up to school and uh, the school washes their clothes for them from the day before and, you know, gives them clean clothes to wear. They wash up in the restroom before class starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because their parents are bad. The right. parents just don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. They're trying to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's that cycle that we're trying to break with the music therapy of teaching the kids, one, letting them know that, that change is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things we see, and this is heartbreaking and it's very difficult to, um, to, to put a stop to, and that's a lot of our kids are afraid of success. Hmm. So, you know, getting in trouble, that's easy. You go to the principal's office, you get chewed out in class, you know, whatever. They know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. But we have students who have systematically uh, hijacked a successful situation where they're just so close to breaking that threshold and then they do something where they fail. Mm-hmm. And we have well one student in particular that we've been working with since the first grade. And she would get so close. She's smart. She's got a lot of potential. But she could never get past mm-hmm. um, being successful. She would be in a situation where she literally would bolt from a classroom from a, a band rehearsal, from a music lesson, whatever, because she didn't know what success was going to feel like. It took us from first grade through this past year when she was in seventh grade to finally get her to try success. She did. She is a rock star. Mm-hmm. But but it took that long. But you know, you know, and I can even and Curtis, I saw you nodding as well with that that whole issue of success. I think about the saying that if you do something good, no one remembers, but if you do something bad, no one forgets. And we seem to live in a society where you're not. Re- I mean, unless you have somebody really pushing behind you, people don't. They're, they're, it's not a society uh, to encourage you to succeed. I don't care what you know what, what most people say. I don't care. I don't know if you experienced that when you were younger. If that had any 
aspect of you know what what, what led you down the, the road that you ended up going. I don't. I'm not sure. Well, I I was nodding to what she was saying because I definitely was a kid that was afraid to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me quite a while to get to a point where I could be comfortable with the idea of success. Um, I guess growing up with disappointment and failure, you come to identify and understand that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a comfortable area, even though it sucks and mm-hmm. it's it's not a great feeling, it's still comfortable. You mm-hmm. know what to expect when you deal with that. Whereas if you go out and you're talking about success, now you're facing something that's completely foreign to you and mm-hmm. you don't know how to delve into those waters. And especially when you don't feel like you have people to help guide you, mm-hmm. it, it can become a scary thing. And I was definitely a person that rebelled against success and would flee just like she described. Yeah. And that's why we have sparks for success. Is that the, uh, the impetus for the name, Cynthia? That is the impetus for the name. Um, we also have another program mm-hmm. and that's our private music lessons. Okay. Um, and what the, the whole purpose of the private music lessons is to give our kids the skill and the confidence so that when they get into middle school and high school, they can join band and orchestra mm-hmm. because that's where the research proves that kids involved in group music activities have better attendance at school, get better grades at school, do better on standardized tests. And we're talking like 200 points and higher on standardized tests and overall makes better life choices than kids not involved in, in group music activities. Um, and so, and we're seeing, we're seeing that play out for us now. Um, so this little girl that I told you about, we've been working with for seven years, um, she and another one of our Spark students uh, in seventh grade were awarded full scholarships to the University of Texas Longhorn Band Camp, which is a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. full week of immersion in music, you know. But finally, because she was accepting the success, which mm-hmm. she was enjoying the success. And Cynthia, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to hold one quick moment. we got to go back to traffic and weather. I'm going to come back to you in just a moment. You're listening to Cynthia Smith, Sparks for Success, here on the Uncle Devin Show. Don't go anywhere. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOS at 95.9 FM. And you're back. You're listening to Uncle Devin's show here on WOL 1450 AM, 95.9 FM, where information is power. I'm your host, Uncle Devin, the children's drum cushionist. Um, If you want to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 1-800-450-7876. Phone lines are open. And my guest today, uh, coming from Austin, Texas, and doing marvelous work, is Cynthia Smith, uh, the uh, executive Yes, Cynthia is our executive director and and founder. Yes, found, yes. founder and executive director. Yes, of uh, Sparks success. Sparks for Success. And in fact, if someone wanted to reach you before we continue, how can they reach you, Cynthia? Um, my email is Cynthia at Sparks for Success, and that's F O R spelled out. Um, our website is also SparksforSuccess.org. org. And so, yes, I okay. can be reached through either of those. And and, and and in studio with me is Curtis Brooks. Um, he was featured on the A&E special 
uh, kids behind bars, uh, life of parole, and you can reach him on his Facebook page. And you you go by Curtis A. Brooks. Is that correct? Yes. On my Facebook page is Curtis A. Brooks. Mm -hmm. uh, if anybody wants to email me directly, it's Curtis.Brooks.1979 at gmail.com. Say it again. Curtis.Brooks.1979 at gmail.com. Okay. And then, Cynthia, I want to continue on. You were, um, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we had to go to a break. But you were uh, talking, and, I, and as you were talking about um, just some of the wonderful programs that you have, I also wanted to know about some of the partners that you uh, partner with uh, to make Sparks for Success successful. Well, our exclusive partner right now is the Austin Independent School District. Okay. Um, they don't have the means to uh, include music therapy as, as one of the therapies that they can offer students in need. And so Sparks for Success goes in. Uh, we don't charge. We're, we work in the Title I schools, which are the economically disadvantaged schools. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't charge the, the school district to work with their children. Okay. So um, that makes us uh, easily accessible. Um, once we go in and work with a program or run a pilot program, we, we end up having schools asking, you know, can we have two programs next year instead of just one? Mm -hmm. Because there are just so many kids. You know, music speaks to people differently from other, other things. Yes. And so many kids in need of these therapies that, um, yeah, it's, it's just something that's, that's very much needed. Okay. And, um, and speaking of music, what's your music background? I believe, um, you have a pretty extensive background in music. <laughs> well, um, I began studying piano at the age of five and then, uh, continued on at the Peabody Conservatory there in Baltimore mm -hmm. and the University of Delaware and then, uh, at the University of Texas at Austin. That's how I ended up here. Um, and I also had the privilege of studying at the Mozarteum Summer Academy in Salzburg, Austria, where I got to perform. And uh, then, of course, throughout those years, I taught private piano lessons and class theory at a private music school. And um, then later on, I earned an MBA. Uh huh. So you got my engineer Alonzo, who's a guitar player, over there smiling. I got all this excellent, <laughs> excellent experience here. Well, now if. Um, you were talking about that you go into the school systems in the, uh, the Austin, is it Austin City? Austin, yeah, Austin Independent School District. Okay, Independent School District. Um, so how can someone support the work that you're doing? Well, you know, as is true with all small and young nonprofit organizations, funding is really our greatest challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many schools in Austin and our surrounding areas with a high percentage of children of inmates. And we're, you know, we're talking more than 5,000 kids just in Travis County, which is where Austin is located. Um, and children of the incarcerated sounds like a very narrow focus, but, you know, there's over half a million of these kids in Texas and over 10 million in the U.S., mm -hmm. and there's nothing narrow about that. Right. Um, right. And I think when people realize that sending just one of our kids to juvie mm -hmm. for just one week, mm -hmm. Texas taxpayers are paying $3,000 per right. week per child. They're in D.C. Um, when you send a kid to juvie for a week, y'all are paying $5,000 per week per child. 
Um, and D.C. is the third highest in the nation, surpassed only by Maryland and New York. Wow. Um, you know, Sparks for Success can keep those kids out of juvie for a whole lot less. $3,000 helps us um, work with 12 students in a music therapy class for a whole year, a whole school year. Okay. So, um, you know, you can see that even though it looks like it's a very narrow and expensive program, it's not when you compare it to having to, to send these kids um, to juvenile corrections. Okay. And I'm going to go back to Curtis. I'm going to ask you, um, from your experience on being in, what's do you happen to have uh, one or two changes that you will make to the juvenile justice system that you think will improve it based upon your experience? Uh, well, that's a hard one because, uh, you know, like I spoke to before, you know, we'd like to reform it in a, in a way that, you know, people in general, not just kids going to prison, but people in general, mm-hmm. you know, can have themselves looked at for mm-hmm. basically, you know, the growth and development they make, the rehabilitation, they would call it while in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we've, uh, started talking to, uh, particular di- district attorneys in Colorado. I'm going to be going back to work with them about changing the culture in prison. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about cultural development is what we're calling it and putting mechanisms in place um, for dealing with people uh, who are going to be potentially getting out and mm-hmm. starting them on a path of instead of just getting out on parole and saying, figure it out, start figuring it out while you're in prison, you know, mm-hmm. going through like parole simulations. And then part of that will be avenues to where you can uh, create me- uh, mechanisms to start to reconnect with mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, what she's talking about, you know, their kids that they're leaving out there on the streets, Uh, you know, to be able to to be more in touch and be more of an influence because I know so many people who've been detached from their kids that wish that they could take from those life experiences that they now have to be able to pass those on to their kids to prevent them from following in their footsteps. You know, and Cynthia, I know that, um, um, you know, you probably have also worked with families in which the parents were in prison, but then when they got out, um, have you had many of those who have come out of prison come back and work with you to help improve or to work on uh, work work with Sparks for Success? No, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of that has to do with the stigma that's involved. You know, people don't want everybody to know that mom or dad is in prison, or that or mom or dad does don't want people to know that they themselves have been in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's not something that they're really forthcoming with. Mm-hmm. Um, we we get our students through the schools, so uh, the communities and schools people are you know the, the the people who deal with children that have home issues, whether it's illness or incarceration or you know any any anything that affects the family. Um, they're the ones who connect us with the kids. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have that interaction with the parents. Unless we are, you know, have been working with the kids longer term and then have reason to communicate with the parents outside of the school. Okay. Yeah. I I was just curious about that. And that's why I really appreciate um, Curtis being forthright and coming in and talking about his experience, uh, talking about his rehabilitation, talking about, you know, just coming back. Let me ask you this. How now just that first day when you came out, okay, July 1st, okay. Walk me through that real quick. How did that feel? And what would, what, what, 
Can you? I know it may be hard to put in, in perspective. I don't know, but how, how was that process for you? Uh, it's definitely hard to put in perspective. You know, everybody would expect the the obvious answer that it felt great, which of course it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I have, uh, I guess, a different perspective and a different take on things. You mm-hmm. know, um, Senator Benson uh, did an interview with someone I forget who it was, but she told them basically that I had prepared m- myself for getting out and just didn't realize it. So finally getting to that point, I, I felt a sense of readiness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's time to go. And, you know, this isn't just get out and let's go have fun and, and live life. You know, I, I kind of feel like I have a purpose in, mm-hmm. you know, invalidating everybody's help and, and everything else. So I, I definitely felt I felt like a horse ready to run. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. And this entire time, the, the prison was just those those doors that were preventing me from going. And, mm-hmm. and now it was just time to go. OK. Um, and Cynthia, we talked again about um, the support uh, for what you do, and and I, I just want to thank you for um, for just taking having the compassion. Because when I first met you, met you, and I said, "Well, we only we only met once, and that was at the South by Southwest conference." But that's right. I could feel the love, the compassion. Um, uh, you immediately. I mean, I, you, you you didn't. You know, you bought one of my children's books. I mean, it was just incredible. You know, and you 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 know, and you got back in contact with me. So I want to thank you for the work that you do. I, I hope to get back to South by Southwest next year. I want to give a shout out to uh, the one and only Saul Paul, um, fellow children's music artist who brought me out there to uh, South by Southwest and introduced the two of us together. Um, so um, uh, Cynthia, could you once again give your contact information on how people can reach you? Yes, my email is Cynthia at sparksforsuccess.org, and our website is sparksforsuccess.org. Okay, and that's Sparks, S-P-A-R-K-S. So yeah. like, like a fire. spelled out, F-O-R. F-O-R, okay. And Curtis, once again, give your contact information. Uh, my uh, email address is curtis.brooks.1979 at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on Facebook at Curtis A. Brooks. Okay. Well, again, thank both of you all for being here. I want to thank both of you all for being here on the Uncle Devin Show. I wish both of you all much success. If ever I can be of any assistance in any way, let me know. That's what the air, airway is for. And I want to thank you, the listening audience, for listening and tuning in to the Uncle Devin Show. Pass it on to others. You can reach me on Uncle Devin on Twitter and Uncle Devin Show on Facebook uh, and all the social medias. And remember, as I always say, Life is a drum, so beat it. Washington.